Well, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn them to Psalm 125 and stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 125. This is a song of ascents, which uh, cover Psalms 120 through 134 of the Psalter. And these were songs sung by the pilgrims in the Old Testament church that would come up to Jerusalem for the feasts and the festivals uh, that were on a yearly calendar. And as we read this text, you will notice that here is a mountain song. And this is reflecting on what these pilgrims would see as they would come up to Jerusalem. The mountains surrounding Jerusalem. And it would raise their hearts up in praise to God. So let's read Psalm 125 and I will pray for the Lord's help. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem... So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that you have called us into your temple to worship you. Lord, we pray that we would be able to come to your word and hear it afresh, to hear it anew, Lord, that you would speak to us in it, that you would change our hearts, Lord, that you would make us look more and more like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. A few years ago, I had the opportunity of going to uh, Israel on a trip, a guided trip, and over the last few days that we spent in Israel, they were going to be spent in Jerusalem, and so we were coming up from the Dead Sea in this tour bus, and we arrived to close to the city where we could see all of the hills and mountains surrounding Jerusalem, much like what the pilgrims experienced in this psalm. And as I was looking out on these hills, these mountains, and people were pointing out, oh, that must be where Mount Scopus is, that's the Mount of Olives, that's Mount Zion, I was thinking to myself, after I've read all of these stories in the Bible about the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, Mount Zion, I thought to myself, is this really it? I mean, this is a hill that's no more than a thousand feet tall. Uh, This is more like a Texas mountain than anything else that I've ever seen. And I had expected that we might see some glorious peak or something that you would find in the Rocky Mountains. But yet, here was a disappointing sight, just these hills surrounding Jerusalem. But as we study this text, what we want to see is not the geographical significance necessarily of the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, but it's the theological significance. Because this text communicates what the mountains communicate to the psalmist, which is that it is good to trust in the Lord. And so that's the simple point we want to study this morning, that it is indeed good to trust in the Lord, for in Him we find our stability, we find our security, and we find an ear to hear our supplication. So that's what we want to look at this morning as we study Psalm 125. So just peer with me back at verse 1 of Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now kids, 
I want you to think about what is something that is harder to move than a mountain. That's tough to think of one, right? It's not every day that you see mountains being relocated from one state to the next. Mountains, the whole point of mountains is that they cannot be moved. And here the psalmist is saying, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. They are unshaken. If you think about the journey that the psalmist would make and the the company of pilgrims as they would go from year to year up to Jerusalem for worship, you could think about all the things that would change along the way. Perhaps the path would change from one year to the next. It would look altogether different. Perhaps their traveling party would look different. People would come and go. Maybe it wasn't the same company of fellow pilgrims that they had each year. And even Jerusalem would be subject to change. But here the psalmist is saying there's one thing that cannot change. And that's when they get to the point in the trail where they see Mount Zion. Zion cannot be moved. And so here is an encouragement for the psalmist that the Christian, the Old Testament believer, the New Testament believer cannot be moved, but they find their stability in Christ. And that's an important thing for us to think about this morning. That if you're a Christian, that if you're in Christ, you can say, I cannot be moved. And you know that life is subject to change, isn't it? Friendships, relationships, jobs come and go. Even where we live changes. All of our lives are subject to change. But here is one thing that cannot be changed. And that's our position in Christ. We are stable in Christ. The good shepherd says to each one of us, I will lose none of the sheep that the Father has given to me. And so we have that encouragement that Christians are stable in Christ. We have stability in Christ, and that gives us encouragement. And if you even think about this Mount Zion, of course, that's the name of this church, so it's so fitting. Mount Zion was the mountain that was chosen by God, by his sovereign grace and electing love. He chose Mount Zion. And Mount Zion was that testament to the people of Israel, as it says in Psalm 68, that God chose Mount Zion. Sure, there were hills and mountains that were far more beautiful, that stood taller, but God chose Mount Zion for his name to dwell. It was Mount Zion that he chose among all of the mountains, and it was Israel, his people, that he chose. Sure, there were people that were far more impressive There were people that were far bigger, that had more prowess in the nations. But God chose Israel as his people, just like he chose Mount Zion. And he has chosen us in Christ. And that is the foundation for your stability. That God chose you before the foundations of the world, holy and blameless in Christ. And he cannot go back on that decree. It stands for all eternity. He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we find our stability in the one who cannot change. And I wonder, do you know this sort of stability? Does this mark your life? Do you feel stable? Perhaps there's so many things going on in your life where you say, I feel like I'm being moved every day from one place to another. I'm either on fire for the Lord or maybe the next day I have these doubts will come to the one who does offer that sort of stability. Look to him. 
because it's in him that we will find it. We can find solid ground for our feet to rest. So we find the stability of the church in verse 1, but we also find the security of the church in verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And so here the psalmist is taking a specific look at Mount Zion and making it more general. He's making a more general assessment about the mountains surrounding Jerusalem. And really, Jerusalem was a mountain city. It was considered to be up in the hills, to have a degree of security because there were seven peaks, seven hills surrounding Jerusalem with valleys that made it incredibly difficult for enemy forces to bring an assault on them. Uh, if you think about the ancient wisdom is that he who has the high ground has the security. And so here the psalmist is saying that in the same way those mountains surround Jerusalem and that provides security to the city, so too is the Lord surrounding his people. I love how the King James Version puts it. It says that the Lord is round about his people. He is the protector and defender of of his people. His presence provides them the security that they need. Uh, there was one missionary, his name was John Patton. Uh, he was a missionary to the cannibals of the South Pacific Seas. And he had all kinds of crazy things happen in his life where his life was threatened, it was attacked uh, by these people. And on one particular night, he was hunted down by uh, a band of angry cannibals where they were chasing him, and he just narrowly escaped for his life and hid himself in a tree. And he says of that whole account, as he writes in his biography, that as I sat there among the branches, and I heard the muskets, the yells of savages, there I was in the trees, safe in the arms of Jesus. You see, the Lord surrounds his people. He protected John Patton and his work on the mission field and you can think about probably no better illustration of the Lord's protection of his people than what we find in 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha. The king of Syria is fast. He's hard after this Elisha who keeps frustrating his plans. He wants to attack, but Elisha, as the prophet, the man of God, is able to uh, defend the people. And so the king sends his band of army, and they're encircling Elisha. And the servant of Elisha comes to him and says, Sir, what are we going to do? Our lives are surely going to be taken. And here Elisha says, Lord, open this young man's eyes. And so the Lord does. And what does he see? Behold, chariots of fire encircled, round about, surrounding. Same word as what we find in verse 2, Elisha. The Lord protects his people. That kind of security is what we need. That's the kind of security that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Paul says that our lives are hidden in Christ. Peter says that our salvation is being guarded by the power of God until it's fully revealed. And you can think about even Jude who said that we are beloved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This is vital for us to understand because it often feels as though it's not the Lord who is encircling us, but it's our enemies. Perhaps it's just the culture around us seeking to devour uh, a good and 
Christian life in this world. Perhaps it's someone at your work who seeks to bring you harm by gossiping about you behind your back. Maybe it's merely just the devices of Satan alluring you into sin. There are all kinds of times where we feel as though we are being encircled by our enemies. And yet here we need to be like Elisha and say, Lord, open my eyes. May I see your surrounding protection and security. So our psalmist here is speaking of the stability and security of the Christian. And that could communicate this idea that the Christian life is full of just blessing and beauty. That our lives are so protected by the Lord that it goes untouched, unharmed, unsinged by the harsh realities of life. But if you keep reading in verse 3, you'll understand that the, or the, the, the psalmist is no stranger to suffering. Verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So when the psalmist is thinking about the surrounding protection of the Lord for his people, he thinks about the problem of wickedness in high places. He thinks about the fact that righteousness is not reigning in this world, that there is a place where the righteous do suffer for their righteousness. And yet he clings to this promise, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Meaning that the, the, the wicked rule of wicked kings and emperors and presidents will not last forever. It will not remain on church property, if you will. In fact, the Lord is bringing judgment against them. He is saying that, that this wickedness will come to an end. That there is a, a sense of a promise here in this verse for him that makes him have encouragement, joy, because the scepter of wickedness will not remain long. Deliverance will come. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, if you've ever heard of him, he was a 12th century theologian, one of the greatest cent uh, uh, theologians in the medieval period of the church, he commented on this verse, and he actually used this verse as the defense for the Crusades. He said that if the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, that means that we need to raise up armies for the church to conquer the Holy Land, to go back to Israel, to, to wipe out the Islamic rule that we find there. And so he appealed to this verse as his justification. But if you just even read the second part of it, you'll understand that that's not what the psalmist is envisioning. That this scepter of wickedness means that the church needs to rise, rise up. But rather, the church needs to be faithful, as you see, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So what the psalmist is worried about most is not the fierce opposition that he finds in this world, nor even the problem of persecution. But it's the temptation to conformity. And that's the temptation that we will always find ourselves facing in this world. It's not the need to just rise up and, and create an army to attack, but it's the fact that Satan will, through the influence of the world, entice the people of God into sin. And here the psalmist is clinging to the promise that the wrath of God is coming against wickedness. So we should not join ourselves to them. We should not throw our hands up and think, what's the point? What's the point of fighting when wickedness always wins? Because here the promise is that wickedness will come to an end. 
wickedness will be defeated by God himself. And so we must be careful to live holy and dignified lives, quiet lives, peaceable, uh, in the midst of a godless culture. And so we do see the need for security even in this. But finally, we see the supplication of the church in verses 4 and 5. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity of being in a wedding for a friend of mine. And uh, it was up in the Denton area, kind of out about an hour and a half outside of the McKinney-Dallas area. And I'm not very familiar with that area, and so I wanted to make sure I got to the right location. So I copied and pasted the address from the wedding website into my map service. And as I was going down the road about 20 minutes in, I had this awful feeling. Oh no, I'm going the wrong way, aren't I? So I pulled over to the side of the road. I looked at the map, the address, and everything seemed to match up, but I was going in the wrong direction. That Siri was taking me on the wrong path. And all that to say is I was the only groomsman to not make the rehearsal in time. Uh, But the reason why I tell you that is because this psalm speaks about being on the right path. That's how it closes with verses 4 and 5. The psalm speaks about those who are on the right path, and those who are on the wrong path. Read with me. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So there is prayer for blessing. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and a prayer of cursing. Lord, Lead away with evildoers, those who turn aside to their crooked ways. And here, like I was saying earlier, that this is speaking about paths. This is, he's taking an analogy from what he's experiencing going up to Jerusalem. To be upright in heart is to choose the straight path. That's the word picture the Hebrew gives there. And those who turn aside to crooked paths, the Lord will lead away to the place of evildoers or the place of judgment. This is really just rooted in the first psalm, the psalm that we read here this morning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So here the psalmist is saying, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. And so it's a very simple point that we can take away from this, but there is a profound question that is prompted by it. Which path are you on? Which path am I on? And we may be troubled by the language that we see in verse 4. Lord, do good to those who are good. Because after all, Paul in Romans 3 quotes Psalm 53 and says, there is no one who does good, not even one. We have all turned aside and become worthless. So is this psalm violating the principle of total depravity and salvation by grace alone? Well, I think this is perfectly consistent with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, the good are already identified in this passage. The good are those who trust in the Lord. Simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's by trusting in the one who is himself good that we find our status, our position as being included among the righteous, the good. 
For Jesus Christ was upright in heart. He is upright in heart. He never turned aside to the left or to the right, but followed the righteous paths that God had set before him. And it was on that righteous path that led him not to Mount Zion, but to a mountain called Calvary, where the righteous suffered for the wicked, where the scepter of righteousness fell on the one who is righteous. And it's in that truth, in that beautiful, glorious message in the gospel that we are counted as good and upright in heart. It's the Lord working in our hearts through the process of sanctification where we are becoming progressively more upright in heart as we desire to follow the Lord. And so perhaps you're in here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you wouldn't be interested in Christianity. Well, the good news of the gospel comes to you in Christ today and says to you, You must turn away from your wicked ways. You must turn aside from your sin and receive the promise of blessing in him that is available and offered to you even this morning. And so while this blessing of the Lord withholding no good thing from those who are good, those who are upright in heart, while this is magnified in Christ, so too is this warning. Verse 5 is a very candid warning about apostasy about those who turn aside from the paths of righteousness. You could think about this psalmist who perhaps year after year would go to Jerusalem and his company of fellow travelers would look different. Perhaps some of his closest friends and family members had even turned aside, had turned to the false religions of the area, or maybe they were just caught in their sin and they decided no longer to go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord And here he is saying, those who turn aside to their crooked ways, there is judgment coming. So it is a warning. And of course, this warning is even strengthened in the new covenant, as the author of Hebrews says it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? We can't turn aside from the good news of the gospel. We cannot move from the left or to the right. We must keep following Christ. And with all the blessings of the new covenant available to us, offered to us in Jesus, we must be like Peter who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we must keep following the Lord. We must follow him in his blessing, asking him for it. And so as we begin to close, I want to just highlight Two ways that the psalm encourages us in our pilgrim life. Because the Christian life is described as a life of sojourning, heading to the new heavenly Jerusalem. And so this first, this psalm teaches us to be singular in our trust. I suppose it's commonplace in our day and age to commend people for their faith, to commend people for their trust. That we can say, oh, that man is a man of great faith, or that woman is a woman of great faith. It doesn't really matter the object of your faith. What matters is the strength, the power of your faith. That's what we hear in the world today. But here the psalm is very clear that your faith is only as good as the object in which you rest your trust. Here it says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That's the difference. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but those who belong to the Lord trust in him. 
And so we must be singular in our trust. We must not look to riches or relationships or even our own righteousness to provide us that sense of meaning and, and beauty, but rather we must look to Christ. Because if you don't find your stability and security in Christ, you find yourself on sinking sand. But if you do place your trust in Christ, you will find yourself on solid ground and you will not be disappointed. So where are you putting your trust? And second, the psalm teaches us to seek the city that is to come. Certainly true that the blessings spoken of this psalm are eternal, as it says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Or so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. There's a fullness to the blessing of trusting in the Lord that cannot be experienced fully in this life. And here the psalmist is keying us in on that little fact that there is coming a greater enjoyment of the blessings of God. And of course, we know that this psalmist, he is on a journey to Jerusalem. He knows where his destination is. He knows where he wants to get to. It's that city. It's that heavenly city where God dwells and resides. And so too are we on a journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a beautiful metaphor. These mountains surrounding Jerusalem, the promises of God, let the psalmist know that his journey is coming to an end. If you've ever hiked before, you know the power of a simple landmark or a simple sign letting you know that you're almost back to the car. And here, the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, let them know, let us know, the promises of God, that we are close to our place, our eternal home, the new Jerusalem where God will always surround his people, where we find ultimate stability and security. And when we arrive home, beloved, we will be able to say to the Lord, Lord, you have kept me as stable as Mount Zion. You have kept me as secure as Jerusalem, and you have done good to me all the days of my life. You have kept your promise. And so here is that blessing for those who trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you are a God who is a protector and defender of your people, that you will not lose us, but we are kept safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. So, Lord, we long for the day where you will make all things right, where the scepter of wickedness will remain no more. But, Lord, you will reign in eternal righteousness, and we will be your people, and you will be our God. And, Lord, hasten that day and keep us faithful for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.